0: Acts 19, verse 11 through 20. Let us take heed to hear this as an act of worship, for these are the words of God. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came, confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. We look to him now by his spirit to add his blessing to the preaching of it. Please be seated. The text of scripture before us this morning. Begins, now God worked unusual miracles, unusual acts of power by the hands of Paul. The word that is translated here, miracles, is uh, one of two words that are often translated that way. One uh, usually meaning or having more of a sense of meaning, uh, powerful work, and another uh, having the meaning of sign, uh, which is used most frequently of Jesus's. Miracles or signs, uh, especially in uh, the Gospel of John, to which we hope to refer later. Uh, But why is it that God worked these unusual miracles by the hands of Paul? Uh, If they're not usual, if they're not things that even those uh, at that time could expect to see uh, frequently. Uh, if they're not things that we could expect to see now, why would God do them? After all, many of us have been exposed, I think, uh, to so called ministry in the churches, uh, where those who are uh, false and trying to draw attention to themselves, much the way the sons of Sceva try to draw attention to themselves and get the wrong kind of attention, a different one than they wanted. But many of us are familiar with this kind of fraudulent ministry that claims to be powerful and claims to be spiritual. Why would the Lord do these unusual miracles by the hands of Paul? Well, as we already gave away in part, uh, since this is really the second half of a sermon that began in verse 8, began last week, uh, verse 20 gives us the great clue. So the word of the Lord grew mightily, And prevailed. Indeed, if we look again at verse 10 from last week, this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. These unusual miracles are identifying whose words are they that are coming out of the mouth of the Apostle Paul. This is something that the Lord Jesus said would happen, Mark chapter 16, verse 20, other places as well, sometimes we intentionally select from passages that are not in the critical text to try to encourage you to purchase a better English translation, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. And Hebrews chapter 2, if you have an ESV, this one will be in that one, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. The Lord Jesus, as we will hear uh, in a moment from John 10, uh, when his word was contradicted and opposed, especially by the Pharisees, uh, he said uh, that the works that he did, which were the works of God, testified, and that if they didn't believe him on account of the words, they should at least believe on account of the works. And this really gets to the heart of the danger of hearing authentic words of Scripture. You see, if you hear a false preacher, a watered-down words of men accommodating the culture, saying the things that will draw the crowd's preacher... And you don't receive what he hears. You're not really in that much danger, are you? But if you receive the authoritative words of God, if you hear the scriptures preached in our day, or if you were to hear in Ephesus the apostolic preaching of Paul who performed acts of power that demonstrated that this was indeed God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus, who has now risen again and taken his seat in glory and poured out his spirit and who has appointed and called and ordained and sent this man to preach to you his own words. Now, if you reject those words, how shall you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? You see, sometimes people get it wrong. They they say, well, I will only believe if. And they list the signs that they want. That's not how it works. You're not God. You don't get to pick the signs. He picks the signs. And if you don't receive his signs, and if you don't receive his word, then you will not escape for failing to neglect so great a salvation. Indeed, only the Holy Spirit can ultimately convince you that God's Word is God's Word. Because the Holy Spirit is God. We make the mistake of thinking that we have some spiritual ability or some spiritual uh, capacity for recognizing the Word of God and that if He meets our demands, then we will then we'll recognize it. No. The Lord Jesus was making demonstration through these miracles that he gave by his Spirit to Paul to perform that these are his words. And many believed. And for those who believe, the evidence that he gives strengthens our faith. And for those who don't, it leaves us that much more without excuse. We're all already without excuse, aren't we? The reality of God has been displayed in the things that are made. There's no such thing as the innocent Pacific Islander who never saw or heard anything about God. But there is such a thing as the God who became man to live obediently and die atoningly and rise again with power for sinners to save them and having ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high, having atoned for our sins, took his seat, poured out his spirit. And along with announcing that salvation to sinners that we might hear and believe in him, he has added to the preaching those works of his power that authenticate. And so we have in verses 11 through 16 of our passage how the Lord attested the authenticity of the preaching. And then we have in verses 17 through 20 of the passage, how the Lord authentic uh, attested the authenticity of those who believed, of those who heard with faith. Which is very important for us as well, isn't it? It's one thing to hear the word of God preached to be able to see in the Bible that this is that which God in the greater miracle caused to be recorded, caused to be preserved, has kept and translated and sent that we still read today. Accurate translation of what this apostle, who by these hands did these miracles, By the same hands he wrote. Not all the time. Sometimes he dictated. And then he wrote with his own (laughs) hands at the end. And because his eyesight was failing, they were big, sloppy-looking letters. And so he authenticates the preaching and he authenticates the hearing. And we want to know both that what we are hearing is really the words of the Lord Jesus. And we want to know that we have heard it not in our own strength, but by the Holy Spirit giving us life to receive and recognize the words of our shepherd and to know him, to know his voice, follow him by them. In the first place then, he authenticates his word. In this case, he authenticates his word by these uh, unusual miracles. Uh, they're unusual even at the time that Luke... Wrote. In fact, uh, the word means something like not ordinarily observed. Uh, He did things uh, that you would have to see, have to be there to, uh, to see, or believe even. The Lord doesn't give you faith to believe what Luke is writing. They're just miracles that were not observed. It wasn't even common then. This, I hope, will be a help to us who who hear this, or maybe we have friends or acquaintances or loved ones who wish to see miracles like this. Whether we want to be entertained and amused, or whether we are just grasping for the, the experience of a power, and we haven't experienced the power of God the Holy Spirit giving us new life in Jesus Christ. We haven't had the experience of hearing His Word and knowing it to be His Word. Which is unlike any other, uh, sitting under any other teaching or hearing any other kind of speech. Even when you hear the things that resonate with you, it's completely different, isn't it? Those of you who have heard the word of God preached and God the Holy Spirit who, who carried the men along to write the scriptures has come alongside you, even as we prayed that he would for you before the sermon began. You know it's different. And yet you wonder. Have I heard with faith? Am I just more endangered having heard this word? And so it's good that he authenticates the hearing as well. But these miracles, they they weren't even common then. The preaching now is authenticated by the scriptures. Luke recorded, there were were those who, who could witness There were miracles that attended those who spoke at the first. It seems that even though the apostolic period isn't over by the time Hebrews chapter 2 is written, uh, in what we read, uh, that the the pace or perhaps even the continuation uh, of those miracles had slowed down or completed. It's a big problem for those who call themselves continuationists, which they don't mean continuation of the work of the Holy Spirit. How does anyone ever have spiritual life to to receive and hear the word and believe in Jesus Christ? Uh, All real Christians are continuationists when you talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. But those who want to be continuationists about signs and wonders and miracles, miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit, they have to contend with that as Paul was writing Hebrews or dictating Hebrews, or somebody else if if you think it was somebody else. But it was Paul. As Paul was writing Hebrews, he said the word was that was spoken by those who heard him was attested by these miracles at first. Now enough has been recorded by the time Hebrews is written. And now for us the whole promise. In John 16, when when Jesus says to his apostles, I have many things that remain to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And then he promises them that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead them into all the truth because he will tell them the things that remain, not just turn them into fortune tellers, the things that will happen later, but the things that remain of, uh, of uh, of what Jesus has to tell his church. It is the scriptures themselves that authenticate preaching now. It's very powerful, isn't it? Because you and I can sit with a Bible in our lap and hear preaching. And we can be true Bereans, which means we receive it with gladness, not skepticism. And we check and we look. To see that these things were so, we we hear this sermon. the 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 Spirit uh, comes alongside, and he helps us, and we can look uh, at the passage and uh, and say, uh, yes, un- unusual miracles uh, by the hands of Paul. And we see the word of the Lord Jesus in verse ten, and the word of the Lord in verse twenty, and say, uh, that's what they were doing. They were they were confirming and affirming that these are the very words of the Lord Jesus, and, and the Holy Spirit helps us. Uh, as we compare uh, and then we go home uh, and we have in our minds uh, and we're responding by meditating upon the word of god uh, and uh, and we start to read uh, and some of us are reading in at least six different places uh, aren't we in a different place uh, uh, every day monday through saturday uh, and haven't you been astonished how many times what we have read and heard and had confirmed to us by the Spirit of God as we offered the hearing, the preaching, uh, in the worship uh, was further confirmed and, and opened up uh, and applied to us from other parts of the Bible. The Bible itself testifying. God himself, the Spirit, testifying to us that his word is true, making us sure we don't have merely the words of men, a religious book like all the other religious books but that God the Son himself has given us his words by his Spirit. That the miraculous salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ didn't cease when he took his seat. The Bible is its own miracle. The preaching is authenticated by the scriptures. He said the Lord didn't just come to save sinners and he didn't, doesn't just announce that salvation and demonstration of himself. Oh, those wonderful things that we see. You remember, oh, it's been more than a month now since we were in Romans 5.8 and we noticed that, that glorious present tense, not God demonstrated his love for us and this, that while well, we were still sinners, Christ died for us, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. That the spirit who sheds abroad. Pours out like a, uh, like a drink offering. The, the love of God in our hearts. Does th- so through the present tense demonstration. Of when the word of Christ is preached. And we see now as he addresses us from heaven. That while we were still sinners Christ died for us. How much more. How much more will he complete his salvation now? Uh, And so the Lord doesn't just save and announce the saving. He demonstrates that it is he who is applying the salvation to us. Part of that is, while some of us might have said, yeah, I think if you really want to demonstrate that it's the Lord Jesus who's saving, uh, maybe the preacher uh, the preacher's handkerchief should be taken to somebody who's sick and see uh, see if they really uh, are healed. Uh, and uh, take uh, another one of his handkerchiefs to uh, someone who's possessed by a demon uh, and see if the demon comes out of them. We would come up with that. We would not come up with have a man stand and read from an English translation of a 2,000-year-old book written in three dead languages that he didn't have the gift of tongues. He had to go to seminary and study for years uh, to understand and have him just explain and apply what's there uh, and restrain himself and, and try not to be too eloquent or or make the presentation the thing as much as the content of uh, of what he's reading and explaining the thing. Uh, and when the people get convinced uh, that the Lord Jesus is the one who uh, has really uh, given these words and caused them to be written and preserved them over all that time and called this man uh, and made him to stand in front of them and speak for what uh, uh, a McDonald's culture that can somehow endure three-hour films, but can't endure thirty-minute sermons, uh, and uh, and if the people get convinced that that's what really happened, that's the demonstration of the. We would not come up with that, would we? And yet the Lord, who has come up with that, he attests. He, he attests uh, what was done by the hands of Paul, uh, because of what is coming from the mouth of Paul. We see in verse 10, as we've just said, that the word of the Lord Jesus uh, was going throughout all of Asia, uh, of Asia. We hear in next week's uh, passage, Lord willing, in verse 26, uh, part of what uh, Paul was saying. Paul has persuaded and turned this Paul, rather, this Paul. The one whose hands are performing these unusual miracles in verse 11, verse 26. This Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. No, but, but there's one God who made everyone. He made the heavens and the earth and he made all nations from one blood. And he is about to call them to account And he has given testimony that he is the creator and the judge of them all by sending Christ and raising him from the dead, who is the judge, God and man. And so Paul has been preaching things like little silver Dianas can't be God. People like Demetrius made them with their hands. No, the real God made our hands. And we have to give account to him for what we do with our hands and ourselves whom he made, which he made. This is the kind of thing uh, we're referring now back into uh, chapter 17 uh, as well, if you want to go back and refresh that. He used the hands of Paul to do the miracles because of what was coming out of the mouth of Paul. And what was coming out of the mouth of Paul is the identity of Jesus. That Jesus is the one who commands and uh, and is victorious over has power over evil spirits. Evil spirits went out of them. Uh, End of verse twelve. Jesus is the one. Verse seventeen who is the Lord over all, whose name is magnified. His name was magnified in the creation. Whose name is magnified in redemption. Whose name will be magnified at His return. That He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And that the name that He has that is above every other name isn't just above every name on earth. It's even above every name in heaven. That Jesus is Jehovah. He is Yahweh who has come in the flesh. There are angels hiding their faces from a man in glory of whom Isaiah had a vision, didn't he? Isaiah saw the king high and lifted up. Do you know who didn't see the king? The seraphim. Because they hid their faces from the king. A prophetic vision of the Lord Jesus now sitting in glory atoning for us Applying from his atonement on that reality of which the altars on earth were a copy. His angels being ministering spirits to serve those who are inheriting salvation, says the book of Hebrews. It is the identity of Jesus. We've been tracing this a little bit, but those who oppose the preaching, the apostolic preaching of Jesus Christ, they're not just theologically wrong, they're blasphemers. Why? Because they don't receive that Jesus is God. They don't receive that God has declared himself in these last days by his son who is greater than all other revelation, even the, the vision and verbal revelation of the Old Testament. Christ is the greatest. He is exalted. He, he says his word above all his name in Psalm 138. And so chapter 13, verse 45, uh, when the Jews at, An, uh, at Antioch, uh, uh, this is Antioch and Syria at this point, uh, when the Jews at Antioch see The multitudes are filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They oppose the things spoken by Paul. These Jews who say, Jesus is not God. Hero Israel, Yahweh your God, Yahweh is one, you shall love the Lord. And they recite the Shema until they're red in the face and then blue in the face, running out of oxygen. and, uh, And they're all upset that Jesus is being proclaimed as God. What are they doing? They're blaspheming the true God. And then again, in whoops, one page, just in the last chapter, 18, uh, verse five and six. Paul was compelled by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And what was he saying about this Jesus whom he was proclaiming as the Christ? Well, in part, he's saying that he's God. Because in verse 6, again, when they opposed him and blasphemed. These are Jews blaspheming the true God because they don't recognize Jesus as their God. They may say, tomorrow is a feast to Yahweh. But it's a Yahweh of their imagination, not the one who came in the flesh. as the Lord Jesus Christ. To live and die and rise again. And this Jesus as the Christ, uh, that, remember, in verse 6 of chapter 18, it was tied to verse 28, where Apollos, having been um, more correctly instructed now. He doesn't just just speak uh, the things of the Lord accurately, verse 25. He speaks the way of God accurately, verse 26, showing from the Scriptures, verse 28, that Jesus is the Christ, using the same language as from verse 5. It's the identity of Jesus as God that the one who was promised in Genesis 3.15 is in fact Yahweh himself. Now it's been a long time and most of you weren't even here when, when we were in uh, Genesis chapter four uh, and Eve having heard about the seed that would come from her uh, and, uh, and crush the serpent's head. Uh, the first, um, you know, when she has her first son, Uh, and she names him Cain, uh, and and we looked at, well, I looked at it, uh, uh, and she doesn't say, I have brought forth a man with Yahweh, Uh, but the word that is translated with is actually the sign of the direct object. She thought that somehow she had brought forth a man in whom was or was himself identified with Yahweh. She was hoping uh, took A few thousand more years, but she was hoping that the first try would be the promised son and that he would crush the serpent's head. But he's finally come, and he is Yahweh in the flesh. And even his name, spoken by his servant, sends demons running for their lives, unable to resist. Required by his authority and office to obey what is rightly said in his name. Jesus came, as 1 John 3 verse 8 says, to destroy the works of the devil. Not just in the possessing of people uh, as is here, but all of them. All of the works of the devil. Because those whom he saves, he sanctifies. And there will be no trace when when you and I see him as he is, we will be like him. And that's what we are going after. Whenever we are working in our sanctification, whenever we are putting sin to death as we are led by the Spirit of God to put to death the deeds of the body, we're purifying ourselves as He is pure and He who has begun in the work in us will have completed that work in us and there will be nothing left of the work of the devil in any of us. There won't be any remaining sinful nature. There won't be any remaining sin at all. And not only that, there will be nothing left of the work of the devil in the creation because there will be a new creation. Even the animals will be restored. Lions lying down with lambs. Cobras submitting to little children. That's the at least poetic picture, if not actual biological reality. A new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And here's that power breaking through. And how do you have access to the power? Well, you don't have it by trying to get now miracles that were unusual then and had come to a conclusion by the time the New Testament was done being written not concluded after, but had come to a conclusion by the time the New Testament was done being written. How do you have access to this power? Through the preaching of the word of the Lord Jesus, which he now attests by its consistency with that which he caused to be recorded, to be written down which he gave us in writing, quite literally. And which he attends by his saving power. You see, Jesus attested his own words by miracles. He attested his apostles' words by miracles. He attested that he himself is God. We're not going to take Uh, the time now to work through John 10, 25-39. But that's the main thing that was at issue in that conversation with the Pharisees when he made reference to his works. That he and the Father are one. That when he talks about the hand that holds us, and he says in one verse that it's his hand, and then he says in literally the next verse that it's his Father's hand, and that both hands are almighty, because it's the same hand. Here's a next level, a secondary level uh, Bible trivia question, children. Does God have hands? The answer is yes. Because God the Son became a man and He's still a divine person. You can't see God, right? God is a spirit and has not a body like men. But God became a man, and the God-man has a body, and he has hands. And so we say this reverently because when he says, none shall take them out of my hand, he doesn't mean his actual physical hand in heaven, does he? He means that metaphorical hand that he has that is also the Father's hand, because he is the living God, the second person of the Trinity. But we may reverently say in the communication of, that happens in the person of Christ, the hands that hold you have holes in them, don't they? When he said he would come and he would save them just as his father commanded him and he would, he would get them all. He wouldn't lose any of them. And no one could take them out of his hand because no one could take them out of his father's hand. And it's the same hand I guess we did do John 10, 25-30. We just didn't read it. Because he and the Father are one. And the Pharisees say, Blasphemy! They want to stone him. But if the Spirit convinces you by the Word of God, we haven't seen the works They had seen the works. They weren't convinced. The works demonstrated that Jesus is God. And he said, if you don't believe the words, at least believe the works. What are you going to do when you stand before me in the last day? What what will they do when they stand before him on the last day? And there he is in all his glory. And they had seen glimpses of the glory in the works that he had done. And we see glimpses of the glory in the word that he has preserved. What the miracles proved especially is the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is God who came to save His people. But you cannot have the proof without the Word. You cannot have the proof without Jesus Himself. You can't have the power without the One whose power it is. Some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, verse 13, took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you, that we cast you out. Uh, By the Jesus whom Paul preaches, there you have it. It was the preaching. Even they knew. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know. But who are you? You see, we're about to, to hear that um, God and the the, the Lord uh, attests to the, the genuineness of hearing and faith by the repentance that He gives and the sanctification Uh, that he gives. Genuine repentance and sanctification are not something we can produce ourselves. It's often preached that way in the churches, isn't it? You get these um, moralistic sermons that are full of true morals, but Christ isn't being preached as the one whom we serve in them and the one in whose strength and by whose life we can do them because In him and with him, our former self died at his cross. And so it's just a burden that no man can bear. Is that not trying to have, and I know we're borrowing from part of the text we haven't heard yet preached, but isn't that trying to have the sign without the one whose sign it is? Isn't that trying to have the act of power without the one whose power it is? And isn't that what the sons of Sceva are doing here? Ultimately, all moralistic obedience, all obedience apart from dependence upon the grace of Christ and the old self having died with Christ is another version of what the sons of Sceva tried to do here. Trying to have the demonstration of the power of Jesus, even using his name, but not knowing him, not belonging to him by faith, And all self-dependent attempts to be moral end up in the same humiliation, don't they? Even if you don't get scandalously humiliated before men now, which a great many do, how will they be humiliated in the last day when they arrive saying, Lord, Lord. And as he says in Matthew 7, he says, Depart from me, I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness. Because they did not have faith in Christ and union with him and his death as the death of their old self and his resurrection as that by which they walked in newness of life. The reason they're workers of lawlessness in Matthew seven twenty two is because they never knew him. Well, here you try to have workers of lawlessness Victory over a demon, but they don't know him. The sons of Sceva don't know Christ, and therefore the spirit doesn't recognize them. The evil spirit answers and says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. This is seven guys. Seven verse one overpowers them and prevails against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Not just beaten, defeated, injured, but humiliated. Because Jesus did not come so that your name would be lifted up, so that you would look good to men. He came so that his name would be magnified as the Lord who saves, Jesus, as God with us, Emmanuel. And you and I cannot seek the demonstration of the authenticity of the Lord's word out of a desire both that we would be honored and that he would be glorified. We aim at his glory alone. He will glorify his church with himself. And he will delight to do that and we will delight that he did that. But that is his work, not ours. And these signs, whether the the signs that attested the preaching the unusual miracles the unusual works of power in verse 11 or whether this confessing in verse 18 and this repenting and sanctification in verse 19 they are there for the, their purpose is at the end of verse 17 the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified the sons of Sceva become famous Quite literally. You see that at the beginning of verse 17, don't you? This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. They came to know Jesus really is powerful the way Paul is preaching that he is powerful. And those who are brought to faith came to bow the knee and confess with the tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord and that He has risen from the dead. You know, that Romans 10, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God has raised Him from the dead, that's what's going on here. But what about those seven sons of Sceva? For the rest of their lives, I mean, they weren't naked the rest of their lives. But many of you little children, you just thought about it, didn't you? Little children that would that would see them around in Ephesus and say, ha, 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 those are the guys who got bloodied and beaten and had to run naked out of the house. <laughs> now that's puerile and wrongful-minded of the children, but the shame of the nakedness is real, isn't it? And the shame of the notoriety is real. the lord also authenticates the hearing he authenticates the hearing by repentance and sanctification uh, as the name of jesus has magnified in verse 17 that you have these people who want others to know what jesus has done in them they not only believe with their uh, in their hearts that jesus is lord and confess that God has raised him from the dead, they also come and confess their own deeds. Many who had believed came confessing and telling their own deeds. They told what they used to do, what they used to be like. How the things that they knew that they were sinful, they couldn't stop doing. And there were all sorts of things that they didn't even know that they were sinful. And now the Lord has grown them by the Christ in whom They trust. And he has given them to stop doing things that they used to do. If you are not a person who no longer does some of the things that you used to do, you have no good reason to think that you're a Christian. If you think you have been saved by a Jesus Christ who has not changed your life, Then the idea of Jesus that you have is not the Jesus of the Bible. You may have been saved. Christians are not perfect and many of them have times of backsliding such that the Lord Jesus in the parable of the wheat and the tares gives as the reason for not uprooting everyone that looks like a tear because some of them are actually wheat that is so weak that it looks like a tear. Christians who are still so worldly and so sinful and so uninterested in holiness that they can't know they're Christians. That's the point. Because the Jesus who saves is a Jesus who sanctifies. He gives repentance. This was the point, wasn't it, of uh, of the baptism exchange earlier uh, in the chapter. That John preached a repentance that he couldn't give, but Jesus baptizes with the Spirit who gives the repentance. And so one thing that authenticates the hearing is that they did differently than they did before. In fact, not only were they willing to confess, confess sin, specific sins specifically, and reject specific sins specifically they were also willing to lose their wealth and their identity. Many of those who had practiced magic and self-identified as magicians brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. That which was such a significant part of their life before, that they were those who practiced magic. That was their identity. And that which had cost such a significant amount, and I mean, this is what you should do with you know heretical books that you used to buy from Lifeway or whatever. Don't give them away. So that some unsuspecting discount hunter on the internet or at the uh, the, the thrift store. Will take home theological garbage and be poisoned on account of you. Destroy them. Many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted out the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Isn't this often one of the things about our sin that we have a hard time repenting of, putting away, getting rid of, either that it was such a big part of our lives that that it feels uh, like renouncing ourself to get rid of, or just that there was such a big time and financial investment? But what is the loss by comparison to having Christ? Are there not things now that you have sometimes heard or read in preaching or in the Bible, and the thing that is really keeping you from admitting that the Bible does identify what you are thinking and doing as a sin or, or, or does command the thing that you don't do as part of following Christ, is it not the case that some of it is the costliness and we become really good at the theology to justify not having to pay the cost. Well, one of the ways that the Lord demonstrates that he is the one who gave the hearing and he is the one who gave the faith is that you say, the Lord Jesus Christ be magnified this thing that cost so much of my life and so much of my money. I renounce it. I hate it. I'm done with it. Now, that doesn't mean that none of them were ever tempted to try and get some knowledge or some power by practicing magic again. No wonder there was so much demonic possession and activity in their city. This was just the converted ones that had 50,000 pieces of silver worth of magic books. But Jesus demonstrated the authenticity of every one of their conversions. By giving them real repentance, real sanctification. He destroys the works of the devil, not just in devils, but in his people. 1 John 3, behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You notice there are no exceptions in verse 3. There are no people who genuinely hope in Christ and are not pursuing purity like Christ, are there? Whoever commits sin, and that's over against pursuing uh, Christ likeness and holiness, commits lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. So how would it be that the the righteous one who atones for the guilt of our sin and makes us to be counted righteous through faith in him, would not proceed to cleanse us from all remaining unrighteousness. That's what he said two chapters ago. That if we confess our sins the way they're confessing their sins in the passage before us this morning, he is faithful and just, not just to forgive us our sins, but also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That there is a pursuit of holiness and purity and Christ-likeness like we will have in glory that is an essential part of the life of someone who has actually been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't earn any of your standing before God. It doesn't prepare you to be saved. There's no such thing. But it is an essential component of the real salvation by the real Jesus Something he produces in everyone whom he brings to faith. Whoever abides in him does not sin. That doesn't mean never sins. That would contradict what we were just quoting from chapter 1. Whoever sins, that is, whoever sins unrepentantly, whoever is not being sanctified at all, has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this person, the Son of God, was manifested. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Does not go on unrepentantly. Does not walk by the flesh, but by the spirit. He puts to death the deeds of the body. For his seed, that is the seed of God, and it's an intentional play on words, isn't it? With the identity of who Jesus is. First John three eight and Genesis 3.15, the one who crushes the serpent's head. God's seed, Christ's seed, remains in him. Christ is the seed who remains in us. He cannot sin because he has been born of God. Jesus destroys the works of the devil. And he used some destruction of the works of the devil to attest that Paul was genuinely preaching the word of the Lord Jesus. And he used other destruction of the works of the devil in the lives of those who heard to show that he had genuinely given them faith by hearing and life in Jesus Christ through that faith. And this is why. If you're not sure that you're a Christian, the first thing to do is to fall upon Jesus Christ and trust in him and say, whoever calls on your name will be saved. None who trusts in you will be put to shame. Save me, Lord Jesus. There is salvation in no other. But you pursue assurance by saying also, sanctify me, Lord Jesus, by your spirit. Sanctify me by your truth. Your word is truth. You have given me faith by hearing, or I pray that you would give me faith by hearing. Give me also holiness by hearing and demonstrate that it is you who is saving me and we're not just playing spiritual mind games until we wake up after death and find out that we were good church members who went to hell. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, which means that if you are, if you are led by the Spirit, if you are putting to death the deeds of the body, if it's not God's law that is your problem, but your remaining sin that is your problem and you hate it and you say, the good that I do, I don't do, and the evil that I hate, I do. Then you say, it's only the power of Jesus that gives someone a heart like that. This, didn't come from me. This hatred for sin didn't come from me. This desire for righteousness didn't come from me. This longing to know him better and love him better, which I don't even know how sincere it is. It's not perfect in any of us. But whatever there is that is genuinely in me is not from me. This is an attestation. This is a demonstration by the Lord Jesus that he is the one, that the one who hung on the tree and rose from the grave is the one who is working in me by his Spirit. We won't take the time to do the the work in Galatians. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You know, I don't know how many people it took, how many former magic practitioners it took, to come up with 50,000 pieces of silver's worth of burnt magic books. But every one of them who had been brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, every one of them who had been brought to hate their sin and love the Lord Jesus, every one of them who is making progress, was themselves had a part in displaying the glory of the Son of God who had died once for all, but now was applying individually by his spirit that work to each one for whom he had died. You too, dear Christian, every one of you who believe in Jesus, as he grows you in hating that sin that you keep doing and hate, as he grows you in loving that righteousness that you want to do but keep stumbling and failing, but as he grows you in it, He is displaying not just that you're authentically saved, but his divinity as God who is destroying the works of the devil, even in you, even in your own life. And the word of the Lord is growing mightily and prevailing. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given your son, our Lord Jesus, as the heavenly gift. And that where your word is preached faithfully and heard believingly, that we taste of the power of the world to come, and that as your spirit begins to conform us to the image of Christ. we get to enjoy with one another the fruit of being a congregation in whom your Holy Spirit is at work in almighty power. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for each one in whom the true fruit of a work of your saving power is growing and appearing and bringing Christ glory. And then we pray, Lord, that none might be among those who can even be in such a congregation as that and fall away again, not having been saved, but instead crucifying the Lord to themselves and being impossible to restore to repentance we pray Lord that you would give instead better things those that accompany eternal life that as we forsake not our assembling together but come through the Lord Jesus Christ with our bodies washed with pure water and our hearts sprinkled clean through the new and living way that is his flesh atoned for by his blood that you would stir us up And use us to stir one another up to love and good works. That we would not be those who shrink back and perish. But that by your spirit. Working by your power in us. Applying Christ himself to us. We would be those who endure. And finish the race. Grant that it would be so. For every one of us we ask. And that Christ would be glorified in this congregation Until he returns, we ask it in his name. Amen.